hello, and thank you for listening to the podcast of the Vineyard Church Maryville here in Maryville, Tennessee. If you haven't already, you can visit our website to find out more information about our church or to find our full audio archive with all of our messages. So you can find all of that at www.vineyardchurch.us, or you can also subscribe on Apple and Google Podcasts. Now, let's hear this week's message. One really big announcement. So on September 11th, that's about four weeks, or it's exactly four weeks from now. It's not about, it's four weeks from now. On September 11th, we are going to be going from two morning services to three morning services. So um, it's just getting pretty packed around here, and we had a feeling this was going to happen in the fall, and it sure enough is. And so uh, in order to make room for more people, we need more available seats Uh, The church has really been growing as of late, so we want to uh, make sure as new people come, we have a way to welcome them into the family. So our service times are going to be 8.30, 10, and 11.30. So 8.30, 10, and 11.30. If you're curious which of those three services I would prefer you go to, then you haven't been here for very long. You know already which one I would love to see you uh, slide your way into. Um, I know for a lot of folks, backing it up another half hour isn't going to work. But if that early service works for you, that would be great. Because the 10 a.m. service tends to be our front door. We've done these three service times before in the the past, uh, before the pandemic. The 10 a.m. service tends to be our front door where a lot of new people come. and also tends to be the most full service. So we love it if we can get people um, to come into this early service. So that's a few weeks from now. Um, we will announce it till you're sick of hearing it between now and then. So uh, that's just your first heads up. Now, you might think three services plus a service online, that's an awful lot. Um, don't you guys need a bigger building? That means you're new. Uh, welcome to the vineyard. We're moving, okay? So uh, we are scheduled to close on a new building exactly one mile down the road from here on William Blunt Drive. Um, at 1225 William Blunt Drive, right across the street from William Blunt High School. Uh, We are going to close on the 31st of this month. Um, There's lots of good stuff uh, going with all... Hey, sure. Um, Lots of good stuff connected to that. Uh, And we're going to give you... We've got more updates coming. I want to encourage you to stay tuned into our podcast feed. We're adding additional podcasts, not just sermons, but other discussion. And there's there's going to be discussion uh, about the building and updates there. So make sure... Uh, you subscribe to that uh, podcast. And then what we're going to do is that really our first ever sort of building campaign as we try to navigate what it looks like to take what is, we're, we're in a healthy place financially as a church. I, do, I feel like I need to say that for two reasons. One, because we're buying a building and two, because a number of people um, in our 1130 or in our later service, our 1030 service last week, thought that we just turned the air conditioning down to save money. <laughs> That's a true story. And I was like, no, we're all right. We're all right. We're, we're doing well. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, so as, as we, as we um, move and transition, we are going to be into this, what will be for us a huge uh, leap, a huge building campaign as we um, navigate the financial aspect of that. And so what we're doing is we're putting together some teams uh, to help lead that process over the coming weeks. I know that sounds really vague and it's kind of intentionally vague. We'll, we'll give you a whole lot more as the weeks uh, roll out ahead of us. But said all that to say, um, if you hear the idea, if you hear me say, hey, we're building some teams to help us facilitate 
um, the, the, the building campaign moving forward and your heart starts to jump a little bit and you go, I want to be on that team. I want to be a part of whatever it takes to make, and you're like, I haven't even told you what it takes. I haven't even told you what the teams are for. But we need lots of people to jump in and help make this thing happen. If you feel your heart racing and go, I want to jump in and help make this thing happen, would you uh, grab your uh, uh, Connect card, put your name on it, write building on it nice and big. We'll give you a call and we'll let you know how you can jump in and be a part of that. Drop that in the offering box. We'll be sure to get it and connect with you. All right, let's say a prayer here, and then we will jump into part two of Live No Lies. Father, you are good, and it is good to be here. It's good to be in your presence, and may we in this moment be the people who are cognizant and aware of your presence. I just pray that we would, we would make space both in our minds, our hearts, our spirits, in our very souls to hear from you, to receive from you, whatever it is you have for us. And Lord, would you let your kingdom come and your will be done in this room, even as it is in heaven. Amen. Okay, Live No Lies, part two. Last week we talked about this just terrible, unsettling reality that we have spiritual enemies, dark, evil, cosmic, spiritual forces, principalities, and powers and the devil himself, and we talked about that weird, off-putting, unsettling reality. Uh, we also talked about the fact that those dark spiritual forces are real. And as much as we don't want to talk about it, it's just plain true that it's a thing and truth is our friend. And we are not well served by ignoring the reality of spiritual forces. But how do you even think about that? Last week we talked about how the Bible gives us a simple way to think about, to sort of frame up and understand this spiritual reality. And it's uh, what we have from Scripture laid out for us is that there are three great enemies to our soul. We've talked about this as a counter-trinity or an unholy trinity. They are the devil, the flesh, and the world. The devil, the flesh, and the world. And you may remember uh, last week we discussed how each of them work. The devil works through deceptive ideas. Uh, our flesh then takes those deceptive ideas um, and then those, those ideas intentionally play to our own sinful desires. And then that gets reinforced by a world that is under the control of the, of, of the evil one. So it's the devil, the flesh, and the world. So beginning uh, today, we're going to take a week to discuss each of those three. And right now, aren't you glad to hear it? We're going to talk about the devil. Okay, uh, we're going to start with Jesus' clearest teaching about our enemy and how he works. It's in John chapter 8. I'm going to read a number of verses here. So follow along closely. As he, Jesus, was saying these things, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, you really are my disciples. You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. We're descendants of Abraham, they answered, and we have never been enslaved to anyone. How can you say you will become free? Which is a heck of a thing to say if you're, if you're an Israelite. I mean, their history is that of tremendous amounts of slavery. It's just a, a, you could tell they were missing kind of the main point. Verse 34, Jesus responded, truly I tell you, listen closely. Everyone who commits sin is a slave of sin. 
A slave does not remain in the household forever, but a son does remain forever. So if the son sets you free, you really will be free. Down to verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me because I came from God and I am here. For God didn't, for I didn't come on my own, but he sent me. Why don't you understand what I say? Because you cannot listen to my word. Well, why would that be the case? He answers, verse 44. You are of your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. By the way, he was saying this to very religious people who had absolutely no idea that they were carrying out the desires of their enemy. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he's a liar and the father of lies. Yet because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Okay, I know that was a lot all at once. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to notice a few really big ideas from those teachings. Um, uh, three, exactly. The first one is this. Knowing truth equals freedom. All right? Knowing truth equals freedom. Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Now, if you're a church kid, and you've been around church for a good long time, then you would say, yep, I've heard that one, probably got a bookmark, maybe a t-shirt, fits nice on a coffee mug, and I have filed that away as tea for true. Know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Got it. But I, I just want to like also suggest that even if you've been around church for a long time, and you go, yeah, I, I, I know that, I believe that, I've got that marked away as true, there's also a really good chance that you've got that maybe in a subcategory of sort of vaguely inspirational maxims, like, like billboard sayings for Jesus, instead of having that in the file that you have marked absolutely fundamental truths to live by that should govern my every day. This is such a fundamental truth. You will know the truth and the truth will set you free. Knowing truth equals freedom. And you might say, oh, okay, well, who knows the truth? Well, you see that in, in verses 31 and 32. Jesus says, um, he's very clear about this. He says, it's my disciples who know the truth. And over the years, we've, we've really figured out that the best word here for what's usually translated disciple is actually apprentice. This idea of someone who walks with Jesus day in and day out, hour by hour, so that they might become like Jesus and do the things that Jesus did. He says, it's my disciples who know the truth. The people who walk with me every day. Not people who check the box mark Jesus, but people who walk with Jesus, have a relationship with Jesus, and are being formed into his image. They know the truth. And he says specifically, the ones who walk with me in this way, and, he says, the ones who continue in my word. The people who have anchored their lives around walking with Jesus and the authority of God's word, they know the truth. And knowing truth equals freedom. That's the first idea. The second big idea is believing lies equals slavery. Very clear, it's the, it's the counter to number one, but we need to point that out as well. We could also say that sin equals slavery, um, and that's what's most explicitly stated there in verse 34, but as we're going to see, uh, we sin because we believe lies. 
So really, to say believing lies equals slavery is a more fundamental notion. That's kind of more, gets right down to the heart of it. And in verse 34, Jesus says that sin, which comes from believing lies, that enslaves us. And then ultimately, as we live in those lies, this is verse 44, as we live out those lies, what happens is the devil is actually ruling us. And he says this to a group of devout Jews who have no intention of following the devil. And he says to them, he's your ruler. He is your ruler because you have chosen not to walk with me and give authority to my word. Okay? That should get our attention. And the third big idea from this text is that the devil operates through deception. Okay? We're, we're talking today about how we can sort of stand up to the enemy's attacks. And so we need to understand his move. And this is his move. Deception is his move. Lies are his sole weapon. And Jesus said he's the father of lies. The second part there, verse 44, he says there's no truth in him. When he tells a lie, he speaks from his own nature because he is a liar and the father of lies. So, knowing truth equals freedom, believing lies equals slavery. The devil operates through deception. So, what we have there is in just a few verses, the stage really gets set for us, doesn't it? And that lays our foundation. Guys, the whole thing boils down to believing truth and rejecting lies. The whole thing. And you say, well, what about all the other stuff? What about, what about demon possession? There's a lot of that in the Bible. And, and what about apparently evil forces can affect our physical bodies or the world around us and make bad things happen? And I would say, yeah, okay, it's all a thing. Those are all things. All of those things, however, are downriver from this fundamental truth. The whole thing boils down to us rejecting lies and believing the truth. In verse 44, Jesus says specifically about our enemy that he does not stand in the truth. And embedded within that idea that he does not stand in the truth is its counter. And that counter, I think, is our, our first directive, which is that we would, therefore, to oppose the enemy, we would stand in the truth. Stand in the truth. And you might say, right on, I'll, I'll do that. Who would say no to standing in the truth? That sounds simple enough. But listen, it's not simple. It's actually really, really hard to do. I want to talk about why. Now, this book that we're reading, hopefully you pick some up. I think we have some more. We sold out again. Do we have some more? We have more. We have more. Again, we sold out, and we got more, and then we sold out, and we got more. And, and so if you want to pick up that book, Live No Lies, you, you can. Um, and this book that hopefully we're working through and, and you've already begun, um, John Mark Comer talks about something called mental maps, our mental maps of reality, our understanding of reality. We can think of it as our, our lenses through which we view the world. If you were here a few weeks ago when we did the Uprising series, we talked about the same idea, though we didn't talk about mental maps of reality. We called this our, our default story of everything. All of us have sort of a default story of everything. Or from another book we've read, it's been called a ruling vision. Okay, a ruling vision, an understanding of reality that governs our days. Okay, you could call this a worldview, and I think that would be correct, this concept. But I actually think this is something a bit more fundamental than that, a little bit more deeply embedded than even a worldview is. Okay, our mental maps of reality, our, your default story of everything. I want to talk about this for a moment. 
And here, here's the obligatory moment in every sermon. We get at least one. Here's where I beg you to lean in, okay? Please lean in. All right. We, all of us, have a story about the world, our understanding of truth and reality, that's our story, and we live inside that story. That's true of you. Whether you're consciously aware of this or not, whether you've sort of crafted that story consciously or more likely subconsciously, you have a story about the world and your place in this world. How we got here, why we're here, what we're doing, why this all matters, or depending on your worldview, why actually none of this matters at all. And all of us, no matter how similar we are, okay, and we could say, okay, ideologically, probably most of us are on the same page, we're at a church, we, you know, landed at the same place at the same time, we probably have a whole lot in common, and that's true, but nevertheless, all of us, no matter how similar we are, we have at least slightly different perceptions of the world. It's like your fingerprint. It's unique to you, how you understand the world. You see the world differently than anybody else in the world does. Unlike your fingerprint, however, it changes over time. So no matter how similar we might be, we still see the world differently. And there are other people who have perceptions of the world. Well, listen, within this room, there are people who perceive the world in entirely, drastically different ways. Why? Because of their mental map of reality. So, listen carefully. We build these stories, these mental maps, this default story of everything, our perception of reality. We build out these stories We live inside of those stories and then we interpret everything through those stories. We build out those stories. We live inside those stories. We interpret everything through the lenses of those stories. And let me say this in love. No, you're not the exception. You do too. If there's anybody in here going, actually, I don't. That's actually not the way I roll. I'm the one person in the whole world without biases. Okay, great. You have a worldview. Apparently, it's your own exceptionalism. There's probably a lot of arrogance built into that. Heads up, because this applies to everyone. Again, we build out our understanding of reality. We live inside that reality. We interpret everything through the lenses of those realities, and there are no exceptions to it. Let me give you some, some examples of how, you know, sort of, if we think of this as a mental map, then we could think of some of these ideologies as, as maybe cul-de-sacs, cul-de-sacs, or little neighborhoods that people do tend to congregate in. But, when I, but as I list these, I want you to understand, n- none of these are going to be exactly yours, because only yours is exactly yours, if that makes any sense. So one of these worldviews, or um, so I think it's more fundamental than that, maps of reality, is, and you maybe know folks like this, is idealism. Everything is awesome, right? Think Emmett from the Lego movie, okay? Everything is awesome. Everything is great. Sunshines and roses and and buttercups and unicorns. Like, everything is great. And some people literally understand the world that way and live out that way. It doesn't last very long, usually. It didn't last very long for Emmett. But some people, that's sort of the world that they step into. Um, Other people, another sort of cul-de-sac, a mental cul-de-sac that you might land in, is a, a more of a nihilistic point of view, which is the opposite of idealism. Nihilism basically says nothing matters at all. It's all meaningless, pointless nothingness. We're all going to die, and who cares? We're a rock in the sky, and a thousand years from now, you'll be gone. No one will remember you, and none of it counted for anything. These people get a little depressed sometimes. It gets a little <laughs> dark. 
That's nihilism. Some people, that's the way they move out into the world. Some people have a victim mentality, and that's the way, you, that's the way they see everything. You punch them in the face, they're the victim. Give them a hug and a high five, they're still the victim. And to the same degree, they're still the victim. That's the way they see the world. Now, I'll just point out the obvious, because I feel like I need to say this. Um, people with a victim mentality can be super annoying and hard to deal with. But before we get too judgmental here and start casting too many aspersions on those with a victim mentality, I just want to remind you that people come to that conclusion because they were victimized again and again and again. And eventually they go, I guess the whole world works like this all the time. And they get stuck on that cul-de-sac. And that becomes their mental map of reality. Some people view the world through, their own, through the lenses of their own centrality. So this is a lot of vanity, a lot of pride. Every single day they walk out and they're thinking about how they look, how they present to the world, whether or not they look attractive or successful or whether or not they're winning. And not only is that what they're thinking about, they assume that everybody else is thinking about that about them. And that becomes their worldview. It's, a, it's vanity. It's pride. We've talked about this one a lot in the past. Some people, and this is unfortunate because it's so small and limited, but some people, politics is just their worldview. It's all they know. They just understand everything through left, right, liberal, conservative, red, blue. They deny the existence of purple. Purple is not a thing. And the whole world is understood through the lenses of their preferred cable news network. That's a really small perspective. There are lots of these. We've talked about expressive individualism, the idea that whatever I say goes, my God is my belly, right? Hyper-rationalism is another one. You just, my lenses, my understanding of the world is what we can understand rationally. Can you test it in a lab? If so, I'm in. If not, I'm out. The problem with that one, of course, is you then will tend to denigrate anything that exceeds rational thought, anything spiritual, anything transcendent, anything miraculous. Art and beauty and music and experiences of the divine, all those things get at best denigrated, if not completely thrown out. So what we need to see is that these worldviews affect the way we move out into reality. And the ism you need to be most concerned about is you-ism. You have your unique way of seeing the world. Your construction of reality, what you understand to be true for you. And that's the ism you need to think about. Now, big idea. Everybody stay with me. I know the screens are doing weird things. Who cares? I may not be killing it right now, but I'm more interesting than that. <laughs> Don't you think? <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. Here's the point of all the ism talk. To the extent that your story corresponds to reality, you will be free. And to the extent that it distorts reality, you will be enslaved. So, to state the obvious then, it is time well spent for us to understand our own mental maps of reality. Our own story of everything. It's really important that you know the story that you're living in and all the inherent biases that come with it. Self-awareness is really powerful. What is the story you're living in? And, this is an interesting question worth asking, do you even believe your own story? 
A lot of people live in stories that intellectually they actually don't believe in. So your story may be that you're worthless. And you live inside of that reality and you interpret the world through that reality. Intellectually, you don't believe that you're worthless. But you're trapped in that lie and therefore you live in that lie. And it controls everything. We need to know the stories that we're living in and the biases that come with it. So then, we're back to that first directive, which is to stand in the truth. Okay, so what does that mean? Because that's pretty vague too. And you might say, okay, well, we're a church. Um, clearly, we've got some thoughts about what the truth is. Clearly, we've got some thoughts about what the correct story of everything happens to be, right? We've got thoughts about that. So what's that? Well, I'm going to tell you. I'm going to tell you what the correct answer is to the right story of everything. And you're going to be disappointed, and then I'm going to make you feel bad for being disappointed. That's the plan. You ready? The correct story of everything is Jesus. And you might go, oh, okay, sure. But thanks, preacher. Like, this is church. We all know the answer is always Jesus. Um, and that doesn't really take me anywhere. But here's the thing. Before you just run past that, what you think about what Jesus said, okay? He said, listen, I don't just teach the truth or have the truth or share the truth. Jesus said, I am the truth. And that's fundamentally different. I'm the truth. I am the truth. It's actually the right answer. Now, how that then lays itself out over our understanding of reality, we've got to work on that, right? And each of us on our own. But he is the truth. He is the accurate story of everything. And this is why he taught the way that he did in John chapter 8, which we just read. You want to be free? You want to walk in the truth? You want to have a correct understanding, a perception of reality? Okay, here's what you do. Walk with me. Every day, hour by hour, walk with me closely as an apprentice would and stick to my word. And you'll know the truth. The truth will set you free. In 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul talks about this, and it will perhaps even be on the screen, which would be great. Um, and he gives us a picture of what it looks like when people start doing that very thing. So uh, 2 Corinthians 3, verse 16 to 18, whenever someone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Okay, so something that was obstructing their vision gets removed. Okay, for the Lord is spirit, and wherever the spirit of the Lord is, wouldn't you know it? There's freedom. Amen. There we are again, back to that idea. So all of us who have had that veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. And the Lord, who is spirit, makes us more and more like him, like an apprentice would, as we are changed into his glorious image. In other words, as we walk with Jesus, we can see the truth more clearly. The veil is removed, and as we embrace that truth, we become more like him. And that means increasingly we walk in freedom from the slavery of lies and the slavery of sin. What happens is Jesus himself becomes your story of everything. That's how, to go back to last week, that's how you beat the shark in the water. Now, stay with me here. You might hear that and say, all right, good deal. Yeah, I'm pro-Jesus. I'm in. Let's go. Just go ahead and sign me up for all the Jesus stuff. I'm in for all of it, and all will be well. Okay, great. Love the attitude. 
but not so fast. It turns out that a radical reconstruction of your entire story of everything is kind of hard to do. That actually takes a lot of work. Now, don't mishear me when I say this. I don't want your mind to take something. I'm not saying that salvation through Jesus takes a lot of work or that it's a long, drawn-out process. I'm not saying that at all. When you surrender to Jesus as your, as your Lord, you put your faith in him, you are saved. It is instant. It is beautiful. It is, is not by works. It's a free gift of God. Don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Okay. But living out the freedom of following Jesus by letting him reshape your understanding of everything, that is a process. So you can be saved and not be free. And this is why um, in this book that we're reading, if you've gotten to this section of the book yet, he's talking about, oh, the devil does this, the devil does that, and he works like this, and he works like that, and then suddenly there's a hard shift, and he's talking about spiritual formation. Spiritual formation is the process by which we are, as Paul said, increasingly changed into his glorious image. So let's turn the corner here. Let's talk about that for a few minutes as the book does. Here's how I want to approach this. There's there's a lot of concern in the church, um, broadly capital C, church, about people who are deconstructing their faith. Uh, you may have heard this. You probably have. It's kind of a buzzword, and, and fair enough. Um, it's a genuine concern, deconstruction. Here's an idea I want you to sit with. The root of that problem, in my opinion, is not so much that people are deconstructing their faith now. Instead, I think the real problem is that they didn't do any real deconstruction when they met Jesus in the first place. They didn't do the whole out with the old, in with the new thing. Behold, we're a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. We cannot forget that in order to accept the truth, we also have to reject the lies actively. Okay, here's what I'm talking about. Stay with me. Too, too many people say yes to Jesus by, by walking an aisle or saying a prayer. And by the way, that is so right and good. I hope you did that. I want you to do that. By all means, walk the aisle, say the prayer. Yes, please. But then they figure, I, I did it. I said the prayer. I signed up for Jesus and all the Jesus stuff. And then they figure that all the freedom and the victory that they were told about, that they said comes with knowing Jesus, that comes only in walking in the truth of Jesus, they figure they're going to live into that reality now, and then they don't. The thing is, you can accept Jesus as your Lord, and then continue to live within a grossly distorted mental map of reality. And then keep facing all of the inherent chaos that comes with it. And what's particularly catastrophic about that is because people keep saying yes to Jesus, which is great. But then they continue living within the lies of Satan. They remain enslaved. And then they get mad because they think that they were sold a bill of goods. Because they were told about free freedom and peace and victory. And here's the thing. If somebody somewhere told them that all they had to do was say a prayer in order to walk in freedom, then they were sold a bill of goods and they should be mad. 
If you want to be free from the lies, you have to deconstruct your old way of thinking. You have to actively and deliberately reject your old mental maps of reality, your old worldview, and embrace in full Jesus as the ultimate map, as the ultimate reality, as ultimate truth. So if you have a nihilistic perspective, then you have to go, wait a minute. Nihilism says everything's meaningless and purposeless, that none of it matters. The way of Jesus says that I'm bursting with meaning and purpose, and it matters not just now, but for eternity. So I have to reject nihilism. Do you understand? You have to do that work. If you, if you have a primarily self-centered worldview, then you have to go, wait a minute, the way of Jesus is primarily others-focused. And it can't be about me. In fact, it has to be about service to others. And the last will be first, and the first will be last. Okay, so I have to reject that worldview. If your worldview is political, then you have to go, wait, his kingdom is not of this world. He's up to something way bigger than that. If your, king, if your worldview or your mental map of reality is hyper-rationalism, then you go, wait a minute, I learned about Jesus from the Bible. It's a book filled with transcendent realities. I don't have a container that can hold this. I have to reject that container and choose the way of Jesus. If it's expressive individualism, then you have to say, my God is not my belly. It's not whatever I want or whatever I see is right. I have to go the way of Jesus. And on and on, etc., etc. Whatever your youism happens to be. You must let the way of Jesus deconstruct your mental maps of reality. You embrace Jesus as the truth. You live inside of that reality. And then you interpret everything through those lenses. And then the freedom comes. And not before. Then the freedom comes. That means deconstructing your old worldview, world reconstructing everything around Jesus who is the truth, and that's a process. It's spiritual formation. I'm sure you guys have all memorized our core values. I'll remind you, however, maybe for the first-time guest in the room, kingdom, formation, mission, simplicity, and reconciliation. Formation is one of our five core values. This is at the very core of what we are as a church and what we do as the people of God, as apprentices of Jesus. And it is an ongoing, lifelong process. Because as we are, and Paul explains it this way in Romans 12, renewing our minds daily, being transformed, okay, um, we're also being bombarded with new lies, right? All along the way. And new distortions all along the way. So it's an ongoing, lifelong process to walk in this freedom. So in our book, we're almost done here, don't worry. Um, Comer highlights three spiritual practices for us to anchor ourselves in as we attempt to stand in the truth. And they're just, they're just right on. These three practices are just right on, okay? The first is community. Okay, so we have to recognize the maps of reality that we're living in and that we interpret everything through. And so how is it that we replace those with the truth of Jesus, okay? First on the list is community. Because here's the thing. Your youism is the perspective you view everything through, and what that means is there's a bunch that you don't see because you're looking through your particular set of lenses. You got blind spots. You have blind spots. And you need community around you so that people can point out what you cannot see on your own. 
This is really important. Community, by the way, this is why we have a church family, okay? It's so we can do that for one another. This is why we talk a lot about core groups. We make a big deal out of, out of core groups. This is a handful of spiritual friends that will walk with you day in and day out. They will challenge you. They will help point out the things that are missing. You need someone who can say, hey, man, I know that you have signed up all the way for the way of Jesus, and yet I see selfishness in you in your marriage, and that you're, you're believing something that's not true. Otherwise, that wouldn't be the expression. That wouldn't be your lived reality. So let's work on that. You need that. You may not want that. You need that so that collectively you can get a better picture of the truth. All right? So it's, that's part of what core groups do. Is, is Chris Carpenter in, in the room? Yeah. So Chris Carpenter, if you're like, what's a core group and how do I start one? Go talk to Chris Carpenter and he'll tell you. It's really easy. You just get some friends together and you, and you get intentional about what I just said. He'll, he'll walk you through it and make it super easy. Um, also, we have larger groups than that called community groups. There are, I think, 22 of them right now, which is a bunch. We, we went to like very little through the pandemic, and then we built them all, all the way back up now, and there's like dozens of groups that you can get involved in, several of which, by the way, are about to start studying this book, Live No Lies, together, okay? And Natasha runs those. Natasha, give us the way. There she is. You got any questions about that, about how you can plug into a group? But here's what you do. You go to vineyardchurch.us and you sign up for the group. It's pretty straightforward. And if that's not clear, you can sign up in the, in the entryway. Yeah, you can go out there and sign up today for the community. Like, it's there. It's here. We need it. And the other two, um, the other two spiritual practices that uh, John Mark Comer highlights in this book, I just think they're right on, are prayer and scripture. And you, you might say, okay, I, okay. Community, prayer, and scripture. Community, prayer, and scripture. And you might say, I've heard people, people tell me to pray and read the Bible every day since the moment I met Jesus, however long ago. And I just want to go, okay, awesome. Did you? Have you? Sometimes we hear them so often that we become deaf to them. And here's the thing. Here's my experience. I keep encountering people who are saying, I started doing this for the first time. I've been following Jesus X amount of years, and now for the first time, I'm praying and reading my Bible, and it's transforming my whole life. But the fact is, you have your obscured view of reality, your biases, your lenses, and you have to do the work in prayer, and through prayer, the Holy Spirit will begin to tweak those realities and go, that's not true. We're going to get rid of that. This is true. You're going to take on this. This whole category, well, that's completely wrong. Here's the truth. And as you study scripture, the same thing is going to happen. You give, again, he said, you walk with me and you stand in my word. Those who stand in God's word are constantly having their understanding of reality tweaked. Made day after day, as you study God's word every day, your picture, your map of reality gets corrected a little bit every day by the ultimate truth again and again and again. And that work of the Holy Spirit through prayer, that work of Scripture as you study and learn, Christian community as we get around one another, they give us the capacity to reject the enemy's lies. And 2 Corinthians 2.11, so that we may not be taken advantage of by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his schemes. And we're not. We've been told how he works. He works through lies. We combat it. We combat those lies with the truth. All right, that's, we're pretty much done here. So David, you can come help me wrap this thing up. I just want to acknowledge this. We're talking about fighting the devil, yeah. And you might have been like, let's go. Let's talk about the armor of God. Let's talk about, let's, 
some, some really weird strategies, okay? And you might be a little bit disappointed because I, would, I just want to acknowledge community, prayer, and scripture does not sound like spiritual warfare. I know, I know it doesn't sound like spiritual warfare. Here's what I want to tell you. Then you've got them mislabeled because this is at this absolutely is spiritual warfare. This is how we fight back. This is how you beat the shark in the water. You don't go it alone. You get real community around you. You continue investing in that until you have genuine spiritual friendships and emergency contacts, people who are walking with you. If the first time doesn't work, you try the second, you try the third. You don't give up until you get that community around you. You embed yourself in Scripture As you study it day after day, it will tweak your understanding of reality. You'll become more and more accurate and you'll become more and more free. And in your daily prayer, as you walk with Jesus hour by hour, your heart turning to the Lord and your thoughts turning to him again and again as the needle of a compass returns to the north. As you begin to live in that, your pictures of reality get accurate. They get dialed in and you get freer and freer and freer. They are our countermeasures. And we have to be diligent in these things because I want to state the obvious. It's what Jesus said. He's the father of lies. He literally invented them. He's good at it. The distortions are subtle. He is crafty. And those subtle deceptions play to our own sinful desires in our flesh. They get reinforced by the world around us. And it's very powerful. We fight back with community, prayer, scripture. Walk with Jesus.